This is the World That's Interesting Tech podcast, showcasing technologies, leaders and companies who aspire to make the world a better place for all of us. Coming up in today's show. If companies do not find a way to address the culture, the connection, the community, and really make you feel like I'm working from home, but I still really feel like I'm part of something. If that's not addressed, then people will leave the organizations because they don't feel like they're getting the right chance of opportunities. And welcome. Uh, today I'm very honoured to be able to welcome uh, Ben Towers, uh, co-founder of Tahora, to come and talk with us about what he's doing over at Tahora. So Ben, uh, today, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, could you just tell us a bit more about what you do at Tahora? Yes, yeah, so, so my name's Ben. I'm a 23-year-old entrepreneur. Before Tahora, I used to have a marketing company Exited that when I was 18, became a comms director at GlaxoSmith Klein, and then started Tahoe at the beginning of last year. And Tahoe is really all about how can we connect the workforce better? How can we tackle this statement we're the most connected yet disconnected society? There are all these people available to us on our phones, online, and so on. How can we really build true in-person connections? That's what Tahoe does. But you then apply it in a workplace setting into the hybrid working models, where now you've got employees who are at the office one day, at home the next day. And how can we maintain that connection both locally, but also more centrally when they're in the office? That sounds fascinating. Um, You're picking up on a number of topics that I know over the last two years have really been central to a number of these discussions. Um, Before maybe we we delve into some of those in a bit deeper, tell me, you've given us a bit of your background there, but what led you to this? Were there any pivotal moments in your life that took you here? Yeah, I mean, for me, when I was 11, I started building websites and that kick-started my first business that became a website marketing agency. And then when I was 18, you know, that company was actually doing really well. I had this amazing media attention and press and speaking at events and, and working with clients like the government, and working with IHG Hotels, Virgin Racing, Champions and so on. But then I then almost had this realisation, you know what, what's on my heart is I want to make a difference in the world. I want to be able to look back on what I've done and go, you know what, I'm really proud of that, being able to change that. And unfortunately, I realized that in marketing, you can make a difference, but you're very much um, in the control of that client. So I said, okay, what can I do? And at the same time, I had a family member and my best friend that's going through some awful mental health challenges. And it led to me, you know, going right to the extreme, going to A&E with them and supporting them in that case and so on. And realizing that, you know what? This is something that I can't just sleep at night, not feeling like I'm working towards or tackling. This is a problem that I've now seen so much. I, I need to do something to address this. But I was a bit like, you know what? At the same time, um, at this time, I was like a 20-year-old. You know, I, I, I can't, I'm not a doctor. I can't help people who needed that sort of support. So I was part of the idea is mulling around, a few different things coming to mind. Then, like I mentioned earlier, became this comms director at GSK. Now, GSK, as you know, is a mega pharmaceutical consumer healthcare company, and I was working in the consumer healthcare division. And whilst I was there, I then saw corporate life for the first time. You know, I had tens of thousands of colleagues on paper, but in reality, I can't say that I knew loads of them on that personal level. Mm-hmm. And that really got me thinking. And then I actually looked into it, and the World Health Organization, say the leading cause of mental health challenges, 
is in fact social isolation and lack of belonging. And I was thinking like, ah, I, I know what I want to do. You know, I want to apply my background in comms and marketing, which is about the connection and bringing people together and building excitement so you can connect with those around you, but still very much on this thing, but I want to do something to address this mental health um, challenge that we face as society. So combine those two together, we then founded Tahora. Now Tahora really looks at sort of mental health from a stage one preventative point of view. We wouldn't call ourselves a mental health app or anything like that. What we say is if we can build great connections, then we can have great outcomes for you as an individual, but also the company. Mm. And I think what's really interesting there is that, um, and again, I've, I've seen this in several conversations, is that it's really that personal experience if you've had dealing with mental health challenges yourself or within your close network, friends, family, that really drives people to understand um, yeah, the challenges, really, uh, and the impact. And maybe, maybe later on, you know, we're going to be talking about how things are changing. Maybe we'll come on to your opinions on that as well later okay. on. Um, I think what I really like there as well in what you're talking about is uh, you have the you have the complete understanding that in this modern work, workplace, this modern day, it's that hybrid and that switching between uh, working from home and uh, working at the office. When you relate back to your time at GSK, um, how does how has that changed? What do you see the differences there? Yeah, I mean, when I was at GSK, I was I was hybrid to a certain extent, but majority of the time I tried to go to the office. And for me personally, maybe maybe it's that I'm a young person and that developing in my career, I was like, I want to be in the office, I want to be in that environment, I want to be around people. Mm. So for me, that was so important to come in. Now, one of the big things that obviously happened with COVID, we've now seen this massive shift where companies who even didn't want or don't want to do hybrid working have now in a sense been forced to offer it. If you don't, we're going to lose talent. Now, for me, I think, you know, I'm not going to talk too much about that. It's something we all know, it's something we all hear every single day and so on. But maybe the thing to really draw your attention to is hybrid working is pre-COVID, we had a, a society of disconnection, a society of people, you know, who would not truly know their colleagues on a personal basis or, or others around them. Then post-COVID, and now we're starting to look at hybrid working being the norm, my biggest fear is the fact that now social isolation is almost becoming part of your day job. When you're working from home, you're isolated from your colleagues. You're naturally isolating yourself. But in the statistics recently by McKinsey saying that just under half of the workforce in the world want to leave in the next six months. And the biggest reason for that is lack of connection and belonging. So you almost face this dilemma where the people want to work from home, want to have this hybrid models, but at the same time want to be connected. And we're seeing that with people wanting to leave if they don't get that connection. So that for me is something that really, I think it really gets me thinking because it's almost like the demand of the employees is then actually causing, without them realizing, probably some worse effects on the other side when it comes to connection to each other. And that's kind of an interesting dilemma, I think, that a lot of um, you know, HR directors and employers are facing. So that's something for me that really resonates. I think the other big thing that's changed from COVID is actually people have massively lost connection to people and almost small and our friendship circle. Mm -hmm. I don't think about like pre-COVID, I was out and about seeing friends and so on in the evenings, but then maybe, am I still talking to those, those same people now? A lot of them, not really. And I think COVID's made, made us almost close in our friendship circle. Don't get me wrong, I think it's also made, made us have those friendships a lot deeper. We've now really you know, been through a journey together and a lot more there for each other. But at the same time, there's now this natural desire for people to want to connect again, want to meet new people and want to start to 
the broaden our yeah, people around us again. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point too, because I was um, back in my Vodafone days at the turn of the century, I was one of the first employees from the head office to work from home. So I went through that whole learning with the organization of how to work from home. And since then, I've pretty much been working remotely most of my most of my life. So it's become normal. However, even during COVID, as a you know a hard, hard, um, hard line kind of worker from home, I found that I was suffering from isolation that I hadn't um, realized before, and that was because you know, when I was working from home before, I was in and out of London two, three times a week, and I was making those kind of connections, bumping into people in coffee shops and all that kind of stuff that just didn't happen then. And I worry as well. You know, um, nowadays, as we're moving forward, there's fewer people kind of traveling into the same location. So those chance meetings, which are also really valuable, um, are going to be fewer and fewer between. So it sounds like sounds like what you're working on here is something that could help proactively overcome that um, that isolation and help you not just maintain your existing circles and friends, but grow it as well. Is that right? Exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Um, you've talked a little bit on kind of the market dynamics that have um, set the scene for Tahura to be successful um, and the need for what you're doing. You've talked a bit about, you know, your background that brought you here. Um, there was a piece you mentioned about um, not being a doctor, which has got me another question here. There's a, there's a balance between um, health products and wellness products and there's really the line between them is the amount of regulation (laughs) to be cynical about it and that kind of seems to be a big difference how do you see that line and how is it an important line for what you're doing yes so for us we're we try to keep really clear about line and for us it's about connection now connection could be as and let's really really simplify it it could be um a bunch of guys at a company who all go to the pub after work to watch a football game together. It could be as simple as that, or it could be a lot more specific as, you know, a, a diverse group of people who all love to go and do yoga, maybe do it at lunchtime or go running, that sort of thing. It, it can be quite a different range. Mm-hmm. So for us, that's the more important part. Is how can we help you find those who you want to connect with and engage with and have similar interests to you to connect up? So that's our big focus. When it comes to more of a line, when it comes to our medical support and help, when it comes to the mental health side of things, where we work with a lot more of that is already provided by the company. You'd often integrate with their EAP, so you know the, the doctors and the support lines that they've paid a lot of money for. We'd integrate with that. One of the things we've realized is Tahora's a mobile app. It's in the pockets of you know, thousands of employees. So how can we then, yes, be great at doing the connection, that's good, but if you need to reach out to somebody on a, you know, for a more specific reason, whatever it might be, and we want to as quickly as possible get access to that support. We don't provide that support, we just link you to what's already available. Where we always get a bit closer to that is what we do do is we help you find mental health first aiders and champions internally, people who have put their hands up and said, look, call me anytime, I would love to chat. Now for that, again, we just showcase, okay, these are people who are up for doing it, let's connect you with it. So it could be, for example, this is Scott, um, he loves X, Y, and Z, Maybe Scott's just got a kitten. Oh, I've just got a kitten too. I'd love to connect with Scott over that and then maybe talk about what I want to talk about afterwards. So that's where we almost help that kickstart that conversation. But we never get involved in any of the medical side of things at all. Mm-hmm. So a little bit more detail into the app then. Um, 
it's an app where I selectively choose the conversations and the groups I'm in or how much recommendation and kind of watching out for me is there in the app? Do you have any kind of trigger words or things like that that you then promote that introduction to the mental first health, mental health first aider? Yes, so the app is um, a connection based on two key types of data, location and interests. Now, location, we're not interested in your home address or anything like that. What we're talking about location, to put it very specifically, I'm in London. I'm currently in White City, West London, so I put in White City. I wouldn't put my exact location, but it means I can then maybe find the dog walking group who meet up in the park around the corner from here. So that's the key thing. But I'm going to apply the interest layer to then help you find those with similar interests. What is now meaning for like if you work from home, we can then say, okay, this person lives a couple of minutes drive from you and you both have a dog. Why don't you connect over that and, and potentially if both after a mentor or mentee, you could also be, you know, chat and maybe potentially do that as well. So that's like the sort of key fundamental part behind the app. When it comes to the ongoing side of things, we make it really clear that all data on the app is owned by the employee, the safe space for you to be you. We do provide anonymous aggregated learning to that employer, but it doesn't. Um, it showcases any individual data it's completely stripped of all of that it's more across the workforce these are common interest goals and that sort of thing they mentioned around like the trigger words and so on so a few ways we do that one is we have a regular well-being check-in and we say look how are you feeling today and if you say you're not feeling too good we'll then refer you on and or recommend that you speak to a mental health first aider or get some articles and support and so on and the other the other part we have for it is if we notice that maybe you're starting to talk a lot more negatively on the platform and we notice a shift in sort of behaviours on that, again, we would be prompted to say, look, we recommend you reach out, but we never actually do that reach out for you. That's always for you. And if you say no, that's not a log or anything like that. That doesn't mean that you've gone, yeah, I don't want to speak to them. We never report that or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I think that that privacy thing obviously is there for protection and safety and trust as well. If you don't have that trust, nobody will use it, right? So you've got to... Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're going to post a picture of you and your friends going for after-work drinks if you think that your employer has now suddenly seen that photo and they've gone, actually, Scott, I don't like you because you're drinking a few too many times on a Friday. You, I want to get rid of you. There's always that fear. So that always comes to devotions, whatever it might be. So we've always said, look, this is a secure space for you to be you. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, I think that's really important. Um, so... Lots of things have changed, um, lots of opportunity. Um, and I think the kind of thing you're working on with Tahora is only more and more um, important. Question about who you're working with right now, because I, I get from the sound of things that you know this isn't, this isn't just for small companies, it's not just for big companies, it's for everyone really. So, so tell me, who are you working with right now, if you can? Yeah, so generally we work with companies who are a couple of hundred or more employees. There's enough mm-hmm. people to really form that connection. Companies we work with include Google, um, Coots, NatWest Bank, um, include like um, Metropolitan Police, um, Grant Thornton. So it's quite a range of different organisations. Majority of our companies would be companies who are once office-based and are being disrupted by COVID and are hybrid working. But for us, they're like the key companies we work with along with a number of other small organisations like the RSPCA and so on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with that, um, you might, you mentioned the example earlier on that maybe there's a colleague who lives um, a couple of miles, a couple of minutes drive away who wants, who also has a dog. Um, do you allow? Do you make it possible for people across different organisations to find each other and uh, meet up with each other, or is it just within your organisation? 
it's purely within your organization because it's about building that culture. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if it was across multiple organizations, then it comes like a LinkedIn. Whereas for us, it's about helping you find colleagues who you work with day to day who maybe like you, you connect with. Okay, I see that. And I can see how for an employer, that's a, a really important thing as well. Because as you mentioned, that culture in a distributed workforce is very difficult to, to build and maintain. Um, good. So what, what do you see, you know, the future looking like now, where we are today in five years time, where, where do you think we're going with this kind of thing? And what needs, what obstacles need to be taken out of the way? Yeah, I think well-being, a few different parts, well-being as a topic, I think is going through that radical change and scrutiny at the current times. More people than ever are now going, we need to support our staff's well-being and be there for them. But the flip side of it, there's so many apps and services that have been used over the years. I think people have gone, you know what, that's not getting our right. That's not getting engagement. And it's not actually what people want to see. A good example of this is, is, a, is an app that just tells you articles of how to sleep better, does not get engagement because you just Google that. And so that's the big thing we're starting to see. People are now realizing that actually employees want something quite different. So that's one thing in the well-being front, I think that's drastically changing. And I think well-being is going to go through what a lot of other like B2B um, software went through recently, which is all like you know, really focusing on ROI a lot more of the data analytics. I think up to now it's been a bit of like overlooked to a certain extent by a lot of companies. And the other side of things for me, in terms of the operational side of companies, the hybrid working, the remote working, and so on, I think in five years' time, hybrid and remote working has has a risk of not being in not being you know, practiced by corporates. And I say risk, I'm not saying that it's like certain, I'm not saying I'm going to go back or anything like that. But I think the risk is if companies do not find a way to address the culture, the connection, the community, and really make you feel like I'm working from home, but I still really feel like I'm part of something. And I feel like I've got the same opportunity as those who are in the office compared to those who are not. If that's not addressed, then people will leave the organizations because they don't feel like they're getting the right chance and opportunities. So that is such a critical thing that I think if we don't address that in five years time there is a risk that a lot of big corporates might revert back when we've seen over the years famously some of the big tech companies who have gone around and said we're 100% remote six months later cancelled it and gone back on their work because because if you do not do it properly it's not long-term sustainable I think it was for the 18 months during COVID because everyone's in the mindset of we're just about putting their head down and just keeping going through these, these times but now it's time to come out of that. People are starting to think, actually, is this right for me? But that all being said, I do think that hybrid remote working is a phenomenal concept, something that we need to embrace and do more of. We need to make sure that we actually nurture it a lot more. Think about in the office. Think about over the years how we invest in having like office managers, um, happiness people who are in charge of making the culture of offices better. We went through a phase of putting in slides and, and ball pits in offices. We went through a next phase of offering free lunches. Like all these perks you went through as a way of really investing in office culture. And now that resources, both time-wise and financially, needs to be channeled into how can we build culture when you're not physically in the room. I think I could dive into a lot of those. Not the ball pit. Not the ball pit. Um, I never had one of those. I had beanbags and table tennis tables, but not a ball pit. But we could dive into many of those kind of a bit more. But um, in the interest of time, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Ben. Um, anybody, I mean, I guess from two angles here. So from the kind of point of view of 
achieving the kind of things you've achieved in your life and you know building this startup growing the startup and also from the kind of mental health point of view and the culture point of view do you have any kind of words of advice um, um, or inspiration that you can share with any of our um, listeners or watchers yeah I think so maybe take two parts one for me now I'm a 23 year old um, I'd like to think I've achieved some great things for my age and something that you know, I'm really proud of uh, to do that but for me if I were to say what has led to that, what's caused it, what's drived it, what's enabled me to do this, I would say it's this constant pursuit to improve things. And now that things could be for myself, of course, it could be for others. Hmm. But for me, that's so important. For me, why I think it's led to be able to have these amazing roles like at GSK, starting my own companies and so on, has been from me looking at everything I do and go, how can that be better? How could that be improved? And focusing on that. I think so often we can get lost in our way of being like okay i've done it now next thing and not really spending time to think okay how could that be improved so that's one thing that i think for me has been so important the second thing and it's linked to well-being but actually it's a bit of a hybrid between the two if you want to stick on the hybrid working stories so for me this is around even when you're um, at work or personally you need to really focus on yourself and that's not in a selfish way of being a bit like you know, it's all about you, but that's in a way of going, if you worry too much what other people think, and I, I think this, um, what I'm saying now is probably more applicable, especially to like, the next generation and my generation who are like living on TikTok and Instagram and these social media platforms. If you live for what people see on social media, you're not going to be successful. You're, you're not going to be successful in the sense of like, the depth of success. You may be top line superficially successful because you've got financed cars and a nice house that you rent but in reality you need to focus on what's good for you and not care about what other people think about you it's something I think for me that I went for a bit of a journey on you know, after exiting my last company I was like wow I've got all this money I can spend I can you know, start posting nice photos of me on holidays and that sort of thing and don't get me wrong I think I did that for a few months because I was just like that's what you do and then this reality hit when I sort of crossed paths with my well-being and going that's not helping my health. That's not helping me progress in my career. That's not making me happy. It, I spent more time worrying about how many people have liked my post on Instagram than I did thinking about, could I sell to that company or could I start a new business? And I, I realized that's wrong. That's not going to get me to a point of like success from a depth point of view. That's just superficial. So for me, that's the other big thing. And it really links to your well-being because I think a lot of people fool themselves into thinking that they're, they want to be successful and they already are and reality is you need to focus on just doing everything better and focus on not what other people think but on what you're doing and um yeah I, I i love hearing that from you i sometimes when i introduce myself i talk about how i spent much of my career chasing job titles and money and then only in fairly recent terms geologically speaking anyway um in fairly recent terms i realized that actually that's that's not really what drives me but here you are 23 and you've realized that already so i think that's phenomenal um congratulations on that realization um the other thing and um i'm going to talk to my audience now um i think um integrity is a really important thing and i just want to say to the audience about what Ben was saying about constantly making sure, you know, looking at things and correcting things. Just before we started recording, we did spend a considerable amount of time just looking around the room and just checking things were right and improving things, getting the light better. So from an integrity point of view, again, that's that's really good to see you doing the things you say you're doing and um, you say you do. So it's fantastic. 
Ben, um, with that, um, thank you so much for sharing um, your journey, your activities, your inspiration, all of those things with us today. Um, Tahura.com, um, and um, that's probably the easiest way for everybody to get in contact with you. Is there any other way that uh, people can find you? LinkedIn, Twitter? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best, probably the best next step as well. But yeah, I'd love to connect with anybody, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. So once again, thank you, and have a wonderful week. You too. And that's it for today's show. As usual, a big thank you to our guests for joining us on the show and a big thank you for all of you for listening and tuning in. If you want to find out more about technologies, companies, leaders that are aspiring to make the world a better place and aligning to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, check out our website, wellthatsinteresting.tech. You'll also find information below in the show notes that will help you find us on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn and of course Facebook. Facebook. 